Welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. Episode 16, The Air. Last week, we spoke about Philip's diplomatic coup against the Athenians and his success in ending the Sacred War. Philip had secured peace with Athens, ending an 11-year war between the two powers. Similarly, Philip had ended the Sacred War after a decade of conflict. Philip was now a bringer of victory and, more importantly, of peace. I still want to leave Philip there, basking in his triumphs, and now I want to formally introduce his heir apparent. That's right, it's time to finally bring Alexander forward to center stage. I've tried to keep him out of the story for as long as possible, because we'll have lots of time with the future king of the known world down the line. The time has come, however, to bring him forth, because as we move forward with the latter half of Philip's reign, Alexander will begin to feature prominently in our narrative. So, let's formally introduce the boy. Alexander III of Macedon was born in 356 BCE. His father was King Philip of Macedonia in his third year of being king, and Alexander's mother was Olympias of Epirus. Her father had been one of the two kings of Epirus, but had died around 360 BCE. Olympias' uncle had absorbed her father's half of the kingdom and now ruled it by himself. And later, he had accepted Philip's marriage proposal for his niece. It is said that when Alexander was born, the Temple of Artemis, one of the ancient wonders of the old world, burnt down. Persian soothsayers would see this omen as someone who would destroy the empire that was born. Adrian Goldworthy's book, Philip and Alexander, uses this as an example of historians looking back on Alexander's life and writing backwards for someone who had done such monumental things in life. Their birth must have been equally momentous. A lot of the primary sources of Alexander's life have been lost to us. We know that his close friend Ptolemy, in the future dynast of Egypt, had written about Alexander, and many of the later texts written on Alexander uses Ptolemy's memoirs as a source. Unlike Philip, there is a lot of information about Alexander. The problem we have is that we must parse through it carefully. Many ancient historians are writing with the benefit of hindsight. Alexander's success is not to be questioned, or his choices are vindicated with time. Still, we will take moments to go through monumental moments of Alexander's reign and attempt to be more objective where we can, though, as an Alexander fanboy, it will be difficult. I digress, however. Early childhood and antiquity was not safe, and many infants and young children would die in this point of time. These early infant and child mortality rates heavily skew the average lifespan of a person in the ancient world. Alexander would survive this uncertain period and begin to develop into a precocious young boy. Alexander would grow up with two elder siblings, his older brother Eridius and older sister Kainane. As I said before, despite Eridius being the older brother, it is speculated that he had some kind of mental disability that barred him from succession, paving the way for Alexander to become the heir in the eyes of many people. Throughout Philip's reign, he had never formally declared a successor. This left many competing interests in the background, and while Alexander had a good claim, 
there was still his uncle, Amenitus, who had been born nine years earlier when his father, Perdiccas III, was king. Perdiccas' death in 359 had shaken Macedonia, and Philip, as regent, had stepped in to fill the power vacancy and would be acclaimed king by the nobles of the kingdom to have a firm hand in charge during the chaotic early years of Philip's reign. Alexander grew up in the care of his niece, Lanike. Her brother, a man named Cletus the Black, would serve with distinction under both Philip and Alexander as cavalry commander. Additionally, Lanike would have three sons that would serve under Alexander, and they would all die in the wars that followed under Alexander's succession. In the early years of Alexander's life, contact with his father was limited as he was a young child growing up in court and Philip was away constantly at war. We know that Alexander was ambitious as he aged, and, as his father achieved more success, Alexander was worried that there would be no glory for him to partake in. As a young prince, Alexander's education was as rigorous as any other aristocratic youth of Greece. His education was split between learning the Hellenistic classics, poetry, oratory, debate, and a physical training at the gymnasium. Alexander was said to have been a good student, eager to learn, and physically active like all the young children his age. Alexander's early tutor was his relative Leonidas, who was a maternal relation. He was very strict and would pat Alexander down and take any treats his mother had given him before his lessons. We have a quote attributed to Alexander about his education with Leonidas. There were two excellent cooks with which Leonidas had furnished him, a night's march to season his breakfast and a scanty breakfast to season his dinner. As you can see, Alexander, despite being a prince, was not given any special treatment by his tutor. The first story we have about Alexander being special comes to us by way of when he was 10 years old. A trader from Thessaly was in Macedonia selling horses to Philip. There was a beauty of a horse that Philip wanted to buy, but the horse did not want to be mounted. The combination of the horse not wanting to be mounted and the egregious price of 13 talents, Philip had declined the horse. Alexander had spoken up saying that they would lose out on a beautiful horse because of their lack of ability to tame such a beast. Philip asked Alexander if he thought he could tame the horse, to which Alexander said he could. They made a wager, and that if Alexander was successful, Philip would buy the horse for Alexander, and if the boy lost, he would pay to Philip the 13-talent wager. That's a lot of lawn mowing to own your dad. Alexander would turn the horse in a way that the horse was not able to see its own shadow, and then managed to get on top of the horse and stay on it until it tired itself out. Alexander had succeeded. Writing from Plutarch says that Philip was brimming with pride at Alexander's successful taming of the horse, claiming that, My boy, you must find a kingdom big enough for your ambitions. Macedon is too small for you. This is one of those stories we need to be careful about. There will be many moments in Alexander's life where he would defy conventional wisdom from his elders, only to be proven right. Philip bought the horse, and Alexander named it Bucephalus. This would be Alexander's main companion horse throughout his life, 
And when his horse died, when it reached India, and don't worry, Bucephalus died of natural causes, or so we think. One source says he died of natural causes, and the other that he died at the Battle of Hydaspes. But either way, after the death of Bucephalus, Alexander named a city after his horse. Then, at 13, we come to a pivotal moment in Alexander's education. There began a concerted effort to find Alexander a scholarly tutor, and, eventually, they found one. The famous Aristotle. While we know of Aristotle and his study under Plato, Aristotle was not to take over the academy after Plato's death. Philip arranged for Alexander to be educated by Aristotle, and they went to a place called Miesa. The school at Miesa was a formative time for Alexander. The school functioned as a boarding school, and not only was Alexander educated here, but many young Macedonian nobles would be educated there as well. Many of these youths would become famous during Alexander's Persian War. We know Cassander was there. He was the son of Antipater. I would assume that Parmenian's son Philotas was there. And we know that Ptolemy, Perdiccas, and Hephaestion, and many others were there as well. This was an excellent idea by Philip to have his son and the next generations of nobles be educated together away from home. It cemented deep ties among the boys. They would learn together grow together, become friends, and form much-needed camaraderie that would be needed for all the battles they would fight together. The curriculum taught by Aristotle featured logic, art, morals, religion, medicine, and particularly field medicine, which Alexander would excel in. And, obviously, there would be lots of philosophy. During the course of Alexander's education, Aristotle would give Alexander an annotated copy of the Iliad. Throughout Alexander's campaigns, it is said that he would sleep with the copy of the Iliad under his pillow, alongside a knife, because Alexander keeps that thing on him. The education under Aristotle lasted for three years, until Alexander was 16. In 342, Philip left for Thrace for three years for a reason we'll get to in another day. This left Alexander as regent of Macedonia, also with much guidance from Antipater, I'm sure. While Philip was gone, another Thracian tribe revolted, and Alexander was ready for some shine. He acted quickly. He pushed the tribe out of their territory, annexed the territory, and founded a city named Alexandrilopolis. Like father, like son, eh? With the first of many cities named after Alexander, I'm sure he acquired a certain taste for victory and a sense of humility and humbleness. I think we'll leave it here for Alexander's life for now. As Alexander gets older, he will take a more prominent role under Philip and will have a large part to play under his father. So, before I end the episode, I want to talk about Alexander's personality a bit more. And I realize I haven't described him physically. In terms of looks, many sources say he was quite handsome, as all princes tend to be. He had two different colored eyes, one blue and one brown, and his hair was a tawny color, which apparently means a brownish blonde. So, I have also learned something new today. Throughout his life, he was physically active and said to be well-proportioned. 
Alexander was shorter than the average Greek, but seemed not to have any insecurity about it. We know he was incredibly charismatic and witty, he was funny at times, and he was incredibly confident. He was highly intelligent and had been educated by the best of the best in his formative years. Once the narrative focuses on Alexander, we'll also see some of his negative traits. He was quick to anger, and he could be incredibly narcissistic, though being raised from birth as royalty and potentially believing in your own divinity doesn't help. The picture we get of Alexander is that of someone with flaws and strengths like any other person. Much of what we know of Alexander is through writers hundreds of years later, writing about someone through the lens of their own time period. And we have to be careful, like I said earlier, to try and uncover the man underneath the heaps of propaganda. We can also look at Alexander's relationship with his parents. Throughout Alexander's life, his relationship with his father was distant, and as he aged, it became strained during certain moments. Alexander's mother, Olympias, was a constant influence throughout his life, and it's been speculated that Olympias told Alexander repeatedly through his youth that his true father was actually Zeus. I haven't spoken much about the influence of religion, but it permeates throughout the culture of the world that these people lived in. This kind of knowledge and consistent reinforcement that Alexander would do great things in his life had been put into his head at a young age, coupled with the reign of Philip and all the successes he experienced during his reign must have placed an immense desire in Alexander to achieve the impossible. Also being educated with his peers for three years at what was essentially a boarding school built immense bonds with these people. And it was many of these peers that would fight amongst each other for a piece of Alexander's empire when he dies. Everyone was fighting to inherit a piece of his legacy. Though, I'll do more ruminating on Alexander's legacy when he dies. But, we'll leave it here for now. I know this is a bit of a shorter episode, but I had wanted to introduce our prince into the story. And next week, we'll resume back with Philip and his shenanigans. Like always, if you like what you heard, give the podcast five stars and a review. I'll have maps on Instagram, so you can see that at pinpoint underscore history. And you can email me at thepinpointhistory at gmail.com with any questions you may have. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, let's get it. <laughs>